0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Luke, chapter 17. Uh, if you're just joining us this morning, I've been preaching through the book of Luke over the past few months. Uh, and uh, Luke originally wrote this book to a man named Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus apparently knew some things about Jesus, and Luke wanted Theophilus to be certain about Jesus. So Luke wrote him this really long book here, this book of facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're in Luke chapter 17. Uh, The order of service says we'll be reading verses 1 to 6. That's not correct. Uh, I think we're just doing verses 1 to 4 this morning. So Luke 17, verses 1 to 4. And why don't we do something a little different this morning? You've been sitting a while. Why don't you go ahead and stand, and then we'll pray and read, and I'll sit you after that, let you take a break from those seats for a couple of minutes. Let's pray before we read. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for every opportunity to join together here, Lord. Uh, We believe that... Uh, Father, you live within the, the the body of believers, so whenever even two believers are together, whether that 's in this room or 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 out in in a park somewhere wherever two or more believers are together, you are there and so Father, we believe you are here this morning in this room as we gather together, and we just look to you, Father, and ask you to bless us now through your word, Lord, we believe it is through your word that we we come to know you as Redeemer. Uh, We come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through your Word. So we just pray, Father, that you would bless us by your Spirit, through your Word, in order that you might be glorified in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. Amen. Please be seated. You know, one thing Jesus did during his life on earth, one thing he did was teach his disciples, teach his followers how to live the Christian life. Uh, Jesus wasn't just concerned with gaining More and more disciples. He was also concerned with teaching those disciples how to live as his disciples. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this section of the book of Luke. Luke tells us in verse 1 that Jesus was talking to his disciples here, and Jesus was teaching his disciples here how to live as his disciples. And Jesus wasn't just teaching his original disciples here. No, Jesus was teaching all of his disciples. So if you are a disciple of Jesus this morning, if you uh, trust in Christ as your Savior and your Master, if you love him, if you worship him, then Jesus is talking to you right here. Jesus is teaching you here how to live as His disciple, how to live the Christian life. And Jesus definitely doesn't teach us everything about uh, living the Christian life here, but He does touch on one major topic, and that topic is sin. Jesus gives us two important things here in this passage, I believe. Concerning sin and the Christian life. And the first thing Jesus gives us here, I believe, concerning sin is a warning. He warns us here to make sure that we are not tempting other people to sin. Be careful, disciples, that you are not tempting others. To sin. If you look at verse 1 again, Jesus says, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom those temptations come. You know, life in a fallen world is full of temptation. It's just the way it is. You know, every single human being will face temptation. Jesus faced temptation all the time. You will face temptation regularly. I will face temptation regularly. We will all be enticed at times. We will be baited. We will be lured to commit sin. Temptation is just a way of life. It's, in, it's inevitable in a fallen world. Jesus, sa- he, he, he says here that temptations to sin are sure to come. The, the, the Greek word for temptations there is the word scandolin, and it means stumbling blocks or stumbling stones stumbling stones are sure to come your way in this life all these different things that will entice you and can cause you if you're not careful to stumble into sin when uh when, when Thomas and I were in India, uh, in order to get to and from this ministry property every day uh, where we did the bulk of our preaching and teaching in India, we had to walk about a quarter of a mile along this dirt path. And along this dirt path, there were all of these sporadic little stones that were just sticking up out of the path everywhere and when we walked it seemed like every single time i stopped looking down at the stones and actually started to look around at the site i kicked one of the stones and almost fell into the ditch or almost fell into one of the multiple manure piles that were on the path. Uh, I don't think Thomas stumbled once, okay? (laughs) I was the guy that was stumbling into the manure piles the whole time. Stumbling stones everywhere, and that's what life in a fallen world is like. All these little stumbling stones in your path, these different temptations that can easily cause you to stumble into Sin, if you're not careful, Jesus, he he knows that temptation in this life is inevitable. He just doesn't want his disciples to be the cause of temptation for other people. He doesn't want his disciples to be the stumbling stones that tempt others to stumble into sin. He's warning us here. He's warning his disciples here. Be careful, disciples, that you are not tempting other people to stumble into sin. And listen, disciples of Jesus can definitely tempt other people to stumble into sin at times. We see that with the original disciples. In Matthew 16, Jesus told his original disciples, he said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. And the Apostle Peter takes Jesus off to the side and rebukes him. Okay, not a great day when you are rebuking the God of the universe, but Peter did it. That's, that's not going to happen to you, Jesus. That, 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 that will never happen to you. And, and Peter didn't know at the time, but what he said there was a very subtle temptation to Jesus was tempting Jesus not to go to the cross to die for our sins. And Jesus heard Peter say that, and Jesus instantly said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. And the word there is scandal. You, Peter, one of my 12 original disciples, My my right hand man, you are right now a stumbling stone to me. You are tempting me, enticing me to stumble into sin. Now, now I know, Peter, that, 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 that this particular temptation is not ultimately coming from you. It's ultimately coming from Satan who does not want me to go to the cross to die for people's sins. But, Peter, listen to me. That temptation right now is coming through you to me. You are right now a stumbling stone to me, Peter. And disciples of Jesus can definitely tempt other people to sin at times. Disciples can be stumbling stones that tempt other people to stumble into sin. And we can tempt other people to stumble into sin all kinds of different ways. We can do it with our preaching and teaching. If we stand up, if I I stand up here today and 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 I'm preaching things that don't line up with the word of God, don't line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can easily lead people away from God into hypocrisy or into legalism or or into uh, some sort of, of, of sinful lifestyle. Or we can tempt people to stumble into sin if we commit some serious open sin. You know, when Christians commit very serious, very open, visible sins, lots of people are typically affected by it, both Christians and non-Christians, especially if it's a very, no, a well, a very well-known Christian who commits the sin. Other Christians see that sin and, and, and they are oftentimes tempted to get very sinfully angry with that Christian who committed the sin. They may be tempted to despair when they, they see this person fall. They may even be tempted to commit the same type of sin when they see their hero commit a certain sin. And, and non-Christians, when, when they see a Christian sin, well, non-Christians might be tempted just to blaspheme God, or just to blaspheme all of Christianity. You, you see that? They're all a bunch of hypocrites. I knew it. I, might, I wouldn't become a Christian if you had a gun to my head. We can tempt other people to stumble into sin if we commit very, very open, very serious sin. But man, we we can also tempt other people to stumble into sin in less obvious ways with our attitudes or our words or our actions. If if you grumble and complain around people all the time, you tempt them to grumble and complain with you. You, you, you are baiting them into it. Come on, come on over here and join me in my little cesspool of bitterness. If you, if you gossip to other people all the time, you are tempting them to partake in that gossip with you. Well, what do they do when you start gossiping in their ear? If you're overly harsh or critical when you speak to other people. You speak to your spouse or to your kids, maybe. You you tempt them to become hopeless, maybe. You you tempt them to become sinfully discouraged. You tempt them to become sinfully angry with you. You, you. You can actually provoke or tempt your kids to anger, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 4. If if you dress or act immodestly, you, you tempt people to lust. If you get drunk, you tempt people to get drunk. If you're greedy, you tempt people to be greedy. If you're not careful with your Christian liberties in this life, you can tempt weaker believers to do things that might go against their conscience. There are all kinds of ways that disciples can be stumbling stones for other people, all kinds of ways we can tempt other people to sin. Now, we don't ultimately make other people sin. Nobody can make another person sin in this life. People ultimately sin because they want to sin. And we need to take responsibility for our sin. Man, we so often play this silly blame game when we sin. He made me. He made me sin. You, you, you made me do it. She, she made me do it. Did you hear the way she was talking to me? We play this, this blame game. But nobody can make you sin. They can tempt you to sin. If someone cuts you off on the highway, they might have just tempted you to road rage. But you are ultimately responsible before God for your road rage. Nobody can make you sin, but people can definitely tempt you to sin. They, they can make it easier for you to sin. They, they can do things that might make you want to sin a little bit more. And Jesus is warning us here, be careful, disciples, that you are not tempting other people to sin. Be careful that you're not stumbling stones that entice other people to sin. And man, Jesus gives us a pretty serious warning here. If you look at verse 1 again, he says, Temptations are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. And I think Jesus is probably just trying to impress on us there the absolute seriousness of causing others to sin. The millstone was this heavy stone, typically over a 100 pounds or more, kind of laid down flat. It was pulled around by a donkey and it was used to grind grain and jesus says here that it would be better to be drowned yanked under sea by a hundred pound millstone than to cause even one little one to fall into sin and jesus could be talking there about causing a little child to sin Or maybe causing a young believer to sin. Or he could just be talking about causing anyone to sin. It would be better to die a horrible death than to cause even one person to fall into sin. Okay, that's intense, what Jesus just gave us right there. uh, J.C. Ryle says that Jesus is warning us there concerning the great sinfulness of putting stumbling blocks in the way of other men's souls. It's incredibly sinful to be a stumbling stone, to tempt others, to entice others into sin. Now, thankfully, God can forgive us for that. God can forgive us for all the time that we've been stumbling stones and have tempted and somehow enticed other people to fall into sin. God, God can forgive us, and that's really good news. You know why? Because we've all done it. We, we, we have all, at times, enticed or tempted other people to fall into sin. Somehow we've all done it, every one of us. Man, Jesus died in order that we might be forgiven. Forgiven not just for the sins we would commit ourselves, but Jesus died so that we might also be forgiven for all the times we would tempt other people to sin. If you genuinely trust in Christ today, God has forgiven you for all the times you have caused other people to fall into sin. You've been forgiven for the times you've been a stumbling block, a stumbling stone to people. You're you're forgiven, praise God. But listen, please, as we read over that, please just recognize the seriousness of, of causing other people to be tempted to sin, and pay attention to yourself, as Jesus says, so that you don't tempt people to sin. Watch yourself carefully so you don't tempt people to sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.32, give no offense, give no cause for stumbling to Jews, or to Greeks, or to the church of God. Give no cause for stumbling to anyone. So man, Jesus first warns us here to make sure that we don't tempt other people to sin. That's one thing Jesus gives us here concerning sin, a warning, and the second thing Jesus gives us here concerning sin is some pretty basic teaching. Jesus teaches us here what we should do when we witness another disciple's sin? What should you do when you witness another disciple sinning or, 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 or maybe even experience another disciple sinning against you? What should you do? Well, Jesus helps us here. You look at the middle of verse 3 again. If your brother sins... Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So wh- what should you do when you witness another disciple sinning or, or, or maybe even experience another disciple sinning against you? Well, you, you have some responsibilities if you're a disciple of Christ. Jesus tells you to do a couple of things there. One thing Jesus tells you to do there is to rebuke that other disciple. If your brother sins, Jesus says, rebuke him. Jesus wants us to rebuke one another. (laughs) And I know that brings up all kinds of crazy images in your mind. (laughs) Rebuking. We have some crazy ideas of what it means to rebuke people. Now, I don't think... The word rebuke probably means what a lot of people think it means. Jesus, when he tells you to rebuke another person, Jesus is not telling you to go up to that other person, point your finger in that person's face, and start yelling at them. Thou hast violated the commandments of God. Thou must repent. Thou must now turn, or thou wilt forever burn. not a rebuke. <laughs> Seriously, there are some professing Christians in our world who think that is a rebuke. And they do that type of stuff regularly, either verbally or they'll do it to you in a letter, or they'll do it to you in email or something like that. But, but you know what that typically is when, when people start sounding like that? that, that that's not a rebuke. It's typically nothing more than harsh, legalistic, holier-than-thou, Bible-thumping self-righteousness clothed in King James English. That's all it is. It's not Jesus. And the person who does that type of stuff, that's the person who needs the rebuke. rebuke is not pointing your finger. It's not yelling at someone in self-righteousness. The word rebuke simply means that you correct. You you reprove. You you admonish someone. Just think of correction when you hear the word rebuke. Think, Think of correction. And when a disciple corrects another disciple, it should always be gentle Galatians 6 1 brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness a biblical godly rebuke a a biblical godly correction is gentle it's humble man I mean you come in low to that other person You come in soft with that other person and you know what can help you? (laughs) You know what it can help you to correct another believer in gentleness and humility and softness? You know what can help you? Before you actually go to that other believer and start messing with their sin, first spend some time thinking about your own sin. And Jesus asked us to do that in Luke chapter 6. Before you go to your brother and sister to help your brother and sister with the speck of sin in their eye, first deal with the log of sin in your own eye. Start there. Before you start messing with another disciple's sin, first spend some significant time looking at and confessing your own sin. Let God humble you. Man, if you will do that before you go to correct another person, you'll go soft, you'll go gentle, you'll go humble. You, you'll go to that person recognizing that you are, in fact, the chief of sinners, as Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy 1.15. You, you won't go to that person all high and mighty in, in self-righteousness, in, in King James English. You go soft. You, you go humble. You go gentle. Deal with your own log of sin first, and you will then be able to see Clearly, Jesus says in Luke 6, to help your brother or sister with their speck of sin. Godly biblical rebuke or or correction, it's gentle, it's humble, it's soft. And the goal of a godly biblical correction is restoration. You're, you're, you're not trying to, to kill the other person in self-righteous anger. You, you're trying to help the other person in love? Trying to help lead them to repentance and help them grow in maturity in Christ? Listen, you, you can use the sword of God's Word in two different ways. You, you can use the sword of God's Word like an executioner, and and violently try to lop someone's head off with it in your self-righteousness, I have done it. Or you can use the sword of God's word like a surgeon, and gently and, and very, very softly and very, very lovingly try to expose and remove a cancerous sin that's harming someone because you love them. A lot of people in our world, they rebuke in order to kill. It's a form of hatred. But Jesus wants us to rebuke in order to heal, to help the other person, to help lead the other person to repentance, to help that other person to grow in their maturity in Christ. And, and please, please listen to me. <laughs> Jesus really does want us to rebuke one another. To correct one another in love when appropriate. Man, Jesus is not telling us there to rebuke every single sin we see. Please don't do that. Don't hear that. He's not, he's not doing that. We, we all know there's a time to overlook and to cover a person's sin, but when appropriate, when when the situation's there and the Holy Spirit's showing you something and you know that that seems to be a pattern here that doesn't seem to be good, when it's appropriate, Jesus really does want us to rebuke or correct one another. I, I think Jesus probably wants us to be doing it pretty regularly. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing or correcting one another in all wisdom. Why do you sit here and listen to a sermon? Why do you want the word of God to dwell in you richly? Not so you can just take it home. But one of the main reasons, so that you can teach and so you can admonish one another. Correct one another in all wisdom. It should be a normal part of our life together as Christians. But man, I think that whole concept of rebuking another person probably terrifies a lot of us Minnesota Christians. Because man, we are Minnesota nice. And if if you sin, we're not going to rebuke you for your sin we're going to bring you hot dish for your sin (laughs) anyway we're probably not going to rebuke you in king james english we are probably going to come up with every reason under the sun not to rebuke you at all oh man i don't want to hurt their feelings Uh, who am i to correct them i have so much sin what like you got to be perfect to correct another person or, man, I would never do that properly. I'm ah, just not going to do it at all. Minnesota, nice. And I think we probably end up rarely, if ever, rebuking or correcting another disciple. And I think one of one of the reasons why. We may not rebuke or correct one another uh, more often, is because I I think we 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 probably think that it has to be some huge ordeal. I'm just going to drag this person in front of the church and and rebuke them and man just dress them down in front of the church, you know, or you got to go through a six month process or something. No, and we pray it never goes to that no a, a, a rebuke a correction can can really be very simple maybe just a, a, a question or two hey hey brother man i heard you and your wife talking yesterday and man the the way you talked with her was was there something was there something going on in your heart there because man that didn't sound like you that that didn't sound like the Christ I know is living in you. What's going on? Or, hey man, you, you, you seem a little angry with your kids today. What, what's going on? Can I help you? Is something going on in your heart? You know, for a lot of believers, that, that, that's it. That's all it takes. And they're correct. And they're like, yeah, man, I didn't, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I don't know why I'm sinfully angry today. It's just a couple questions that you ask that can bring a gentle correction. Most believers have a tender heart. And you don't really have to go a long way down the line with a correction in order for them to see it. If my brothers or sisters bring some to me, my wife, if she brings some to me, I might rise up against it a little bit. No way, you did it. You caused that thing. But listen, a disciple will usually come to the light and I'll lay down and go to sleep, and I can't sleep for the next four hours because the Holy Spirit's saying, get up and repent to your wife. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you're right. It, you know, a disciple's going to come to the light with those things. It can be pretty simple. And here's the deal. You don't have the option of not doing it as a Christian. Because Jesus commands you to do it. Right there. If your brother sins, rebuke him, correct him. If your wife sins, rebuke her, correct her. If your husband sins, rebuke, correct. Child, rebuke, correct. But it's not just in your family, your nuclear family. It's your church family. Have a responsibility. We, We have a responsibility before God to do it. Because he commands us to do it, we have a responsibility to one another to do it. We have a responsibility to bring loving, humble, gentle, soft, biblical correction to one another. That's one of the primary ways that we help one another grow in a local church. That's that's one of the primary ways that we disciple one another. It's one of the primary ways that that we help one another grow to maturity in Christ. One of the primary ways that, that the saints do the work of the ministry in one another's lives. It's through a biblical, godly correction. We correct one another. And listen, if we won't do that for one another here at CRC, we won't grow very well. And if you have a a little tree or bush in a garden at home, and you don't prune that sucker, it's not going to grow very well. And if we as a church family do not allow God to work through us to prune one another, we're not going to grow very well. Our growth will be stunted. Do you have anybody in your life right now? Anybody? And let me push it outside of your nuclear family. Do you have anybody outside of your nuclear family who really will bring you biblical, godly, soft correction right now? If you don't, that's a problem. And and your growth as as a believer is going to be stunted. Stunted. Are are you right now bringing godly, biblical, soft, gentle, humble correction to any other believers outside of your church, uh, outside of your nuclear family right now? And and not just a friend who lives off in Arkansas somewhere, but here in, 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 in this body, are you doing that with anybody? Because you're called to do that work of the ministry. God has gifted you to do it. He's called you to do it. He will empower you to do it. He will help you to do it well. He might be terrified the first time you do it. But man, you'll be obedient and God will work through you. And you'll see God will work through you to help prune another brother or sister. You'll see them grow up in Christ. You'll say, wow, that was cool. Who can I correct now? (laughs) And, And man, it just grows in you. You see, that's how God works through the body, one anothering. Correcting one another in love. Man, we have to do it. Jesus commands us to do it. He commands us to do that with one another. And and, 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 and and guess what that means? It probably means that we need to be in some sort of life on life fellowship with one another. Because listen, in order to correct one another for sin, you actually have to see sin. And if all we do is sit together in one or two meetings a week, we're not going to see sin. My sin, (laughs) it can remain hidden by and large in a meeting. I know how to do it. A small group meeting. A prayer meeting. A Bible study meeting. My sin can remain hidden, by and large. My sin can remain hidden, by and large, in here on a Sunday morning. And and do you realize that that's all that church is for a lot of American Christians? Church is really nothing more than just a couple meetings a week. Just, just just, sit in a bunch of meetings with other people where no one ever really sees your sin, no one ever really corrects you for your sin, and man, that's church. That's not church. And, and if that's all that church is to you, you're probably not going to grow very much, no matter how many sermons you sit and listen to. My sin remains hidden by and large in meetings. But man, listen, (laughs) if you do any sort of life together with me on a semi-regular basis, if you see me when I'm tired, if you see me about 8 o'clock at night and my kids won't go to bed, if you (laughs) see me when the house is a wreck, I guarantee you are going to see sin. And you can then bring some loving correction in my life. Let me stress loving. (laughs) Please, loving correction in my life. You can then do the work of the ministry in my life. And I desperately need you to do the work of the ministry in my life. God will, will work through you to prune me and help me to grow to maturity in Christ. That's how the body of Christ was designed to function. That's how the local church was designed to function. That's church. That's church. Now that's not the church that most of us grew up with. So you're really going to have to let the Lord bring you to repentance in the way you look and think about church. But that's biblical church. You see one another's sin. You're correcting, rebuking one another. In love, we have a responsibility to one another to rebuke or correct one another. And man, in order to do that, you, you got to be in some type of life on life fellowship together. It, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen just in here on Sunday mornings. It won't happen. It can't possibly happen just in here. So that's one thing Jesus tells us to do here when we witness another disciple sinning or, or when we maybe even experience another disciple sinning against us. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Correct him. But man, that, that's just that's just the first step in the process here that Jesus gives us. The other thing Jesus tells us to do here is forgive. Forgive. He says there, he says there in verse 3: if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. You know, one of the reasons why God wants us. To, to rebuke or to correct one another in love, what, one of the reasons he wants us to do it is so that we might all be led to more and more repentance in our life. You, you know, for a Christian, repentance is not just a one-shot deal. You don't just repent, repent once at the beginning of your life, uh, turning away from this sin, that's it. I'll never repent again. No, no, the Christian life is, yep, you repent once at the beginning, man, I was going the wrong way, I'm turning, going the other way, and then the Spirit of God is there inside of you in your heart, and He just prompts you to repent more and more. God shows you more and more sin, and you repent more and more. As Martin Luther said in the first of his 99 theses that he nailed to the door of the church in Wittenberg, quote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, He intended that the entire life life of believers should be repentance. End quote. You just keep repenting more and more as a Christian. Man, Jesus wants us to rebuke or, or to correct one another in order that we might all be led to more and more repentance. Do you know that you don't always see the sin that's in your life? C.J. Mahaney says that that sin is like a, a glob of cream cheese that's stuck on your face when you go out the door in the morning. You don't see it, but everybody else does. And you need their eyes on your soul. You need them to point it out to you. You need to correct you so you can be led to more and more repentance, so you can be led to more and more sanctification, so you can be led to more and more growth and maturity in Christ Jesus. And when you do rebuke or correct another disciple and, and that disciple does repent, you then have a responsibility to forgive that disciple. Jesus commands you to forgive. Right there. If your brother repents, forgive him. And man, if you refuse to forgive, or you come up with some lame excuse why you can't or won't forgive, repentant brother or sister, guess what? You are now in sin. And you need correction. Be led to repentance and obey and forgive. I know it's not easy to forgive. God can help us. Man, if, 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 if you see a believer in his sin that, that you feel the Lord wants you to correct, if, if, if he's committed that sin against another person, maybe committed that sin against his wife or his kids or something, and you see it, you think the Lord probably wants you to say something, and, and you see it, and he repents. Yeah, brother, man, I, I, know, I know I shouldn't have talked to my wife like that. Man, I was. I was really, really critical with her. That wasn't like, Christ, will you forgive me? Or, or you're right, brother. Man, I shouldn't have treated my kids like that. I, I, I was sinfully angry. Will you forgive me? If, if his sin was committed against someone else and he repents, forgive him. Man, forgive him. Remind him quickly that God has forgiven him of all of his sins because of Christ Jesus. You're forgiven, brother. Man, preach the gospel to that brother at that point. Man, maybe just look at him and, and just speak out of 1 John to him. Brother, remember, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're forgiven for the way you spoke to her, the way you, you, what you did with your kids. And then maybe encourage that brother to go talk to his wife and kids. But make sure there's a forgiveness that's there. And and if his sin was committed against you, or if her sin was committed against you, and you go humbly, gently, lowly to that brother or sister, and, and he or she repents. Yes, I see what I did. Amen. I, I sinned against you there. You please forgive me. Forgive. Forgive. Look at him, look at her, say yes, God forgives you because of Christ and I forgive you because of Christ. You're forgiven. We have a responsibility to rebuke or correct brothers or sisters in Christ, but we also have a responsibility to forgive brothers or sisters in Christ when they repent. Jesus commands us to forgive them. Now, if they sin against you and you go with some type of correction and they don't repent, Jesus doesn't address that here. There's a lot of debate. Well, what do you do then if somebody is somebody somebody won't repent? I went humbly, gently, they 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 won't repent. What do you do? There's a lot of debate of what should go on in the heart at that point. I personally believe you still can and you still should forgive in your heart and be in a posture of forgiveness towards that person. When Jesus was crucified, he didn't wait for people to repent in order to pray for forgiveness for them. He just went right there, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, but, but Jesus doesn't actually speak that over you. He doesn't actually give that forgiveness to you personally until you come to him and you repent, forgive me of my sins. And instantly then Jesus looks at you and says, you're forgiven. And I think we probably, at least that's how I try to go through it, is to walk that same type of path in my heart. I want to be praying, God, I, I forgive them. I forgive them. That was painful. Man, that hurt. But God, I forgive them. And what you're doing is protecting your own heart from bitterness so you can be ready to forgive, so you can be leaning towards forgiveness with that person. And then if, if and when that person does come and ask for forgiveness, you can speak it over them. You're forgiven. And you'll be ready to do it then. You won't have to go away for six months and then get your heart right and say, okay, now i got to come back and say you're forgiven. You'll be ready in that case. And Jesus commands us to forgive. Forgive our repentant brothers and sisters. And not just forgive them once or twice and then wash our hands and be done. <laughs> no, Jesus commands us to forgive over and over and over again. You look at verse 3 one more time. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. (laughs) Oh, my word. If a brother or sister in Christ here in your church family were to sin against you seven times in one day, and turn to you seven times and say, I repent. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And you know what's amazing? Jesus doesn't say there that that person has to show all these signs of repentance. Well, you, you just wait. I'm going to wait about six months and see if your repentance is general, genuine, and then I'll forgive He doesn't say that. If a person comes to you and says, I repent, you forgive what jesus is saying man you got to be leaning towards forgiveness leaning I, i forgive god's the one who sees the heart god can deal with that other person my job if a person comes up and says i repent is to say i forgive you man even if it's seven times in one day now jesus is not necessarily saying there that the person is committing the exact same sin against you seven times a day but the person could be it doesn't matter for brother or sister in Christ sins against you seven times in one day and says, I repent, even if it was the same sin seven different times, you must forgive. Jesus says, must, 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 must forgive. The book of Matthew, Jesus says, man, you must forgive even if the person does it to you 77 times in a day or 70 times seven times in a day. Man, you, you step back and look at that? Oh, my word, that, that's incredible. That's incredible what Jesus is asking us to do there. Jesus Jesus is telling us there that our forgiveness for other people must be boundless, immeasurable, limitless, never-ending, forgiving over and over again. And, And you know what Jesus is telling us to do right there? He's telling us to forgive others like God has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Oh my word, man, thankfully, when we are in Christ, when when we trust in Christ for salvation, thankfully, God doesn't just forgive us once or twice and then wash his hands and be done with us. I'm sick of forgiving you. I'm sick of it. I'm not doing it anymore. No way, man. God's forgiveness for us is never-ending. The first time we genuinely repent in our lives and and trust in Christ, God forgives us for all of our sins, past, present, and future. That which Jesus did for us on the cross, God God then speaks it over over us. He gives it to us. You're forgiven. (laughs) But then every subsequent time that we then sin and 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 repent and ask for forgiveness he speaks it over us again you're forgiven you're forgiven you're forgiven god forgives his children over and over again even if it is the same sin thank god even if it is the same sin seven times a day and you go to god repentance and forgiveness it's forgive it's forgiven God forgives a boundless, immeasurable, limitless, unending forgiveness, an infinite forgiveness. And Jesus is now saying to us here in this passage, disciples, be like your father. Be like your father. Forgive others as God has forgiven you. And you know what? Man, it is only, it, 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 it is God's forgiveness for you that enables you and empowers you to be able to forgive other people. Man, when, when, when you really begin to see how much you have sinned against God, and, and you realize that, that you are the chief of sinners who deserves nothing but the wrath of God, and, and yet you hear God say to you, I forgive you? Over and over and over again, and that begins to change you, and you begin to be enabled, you begin to be empowered to forgive other people as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness in equals forgiveness out. Philip Riken tells a story about a Zulu chieftain whose wife became a Christian at an evangelistic meeting. He was enraged, he told his wife she could never go back to another meeting, but her heart had been captured by Christ, so she went back the very next night, the chieftain dragged her out of the meeting, dragged her out of the village, beat her violently, and left her to die. He went back later to see if she had died. He found her bleeding, gasping, her breath, just about to die, he yelled at her, what does your Jesus Christ do for you now? And her eyes fluttered and she said very quietly, he helps me to forgive you. And that's what happens when you're forgiven. And when you know how much you've been forgiven, you know how how much you've sinned against God and yet how much he's forgiven you, when that sinks deeper and deeper inside your heart, you find it much, much easier to forgive the sins that people commit against you. Forgiveness in equals forgiveness out. So man, if you're struggling to forgive here today, I I get that. A lot of people struggle with that. If that's you, man, I encourage you to go to the cross. Go to the cross. Let God show you your sin. Receive God's forgiveness. Let God show you again how much He has forgiven you. Let Him speak forgiveness to you over and over again, and His forgiveness for you will change you and empower you to forgive others over and over and over again. And living the Christian life's not easy. One of the main reasons, because we still got to deal with sin. Be careful that you're not tempting others to sin, and when a brother or sister does sin, rebuke and forgive by the grace of God. May God help us to live the Christian life well. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word, the life in your word. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you've come and you've corrected us, rebuked us through your word. And uh, Lord, we know now you send us out to correct, rebuke others. walking in your grace, you working through us, correcting, rebuking others, and forgiving others, Lord God, who repent, forgiving them as you have forgiven us in Christ. So Lord, will you please help us to do these things? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.